Today's sermon is one that I have preached many times. It began as the centerpiece of a mission conference that my in my mother's church in Auburn, Alabama. I spoke three times and used the church at Ephesus kind of as a case study because we know an awful lot about the church of Ephesus, both from Acts and from the book of Acts. Ephesians and from the book of Revelation. Now, it's also one that I realize some of you who were on the search committee, uh, it could have been one of the sermons that you uh, chose to watch because um, when my daughter, the librarian, went and found me all of my um, videoed or my sermons that were online, there were several copies of this and different things. And until she did that, I didn't realize how many people were taking my stuff and putting it on their web page. It was kind of interesting. So I know that the search committee may have chosen um, to watch this. But every time I do this, I have the same kind of bones, but a different emphasis of fleshing it out. And this sermon is kind of at the heart of what I hope my ministry among you can be what Paul did in Ephesus. And one of the things that you see is twice Paul mentions that he did it with tears, the affection that he had for those people. And my affection for you and your hospitality to us is, is creating that passion and that relationship. But it basically, it seeks to answer the question, why does the church matter to God. See, usually it's like you want to say, well, why, does, why should the church matter to me? That's the wrong question. Why does the church matter to God? Why should it have value for God and then for his people, for the families, for the neighbors? Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and he, as I read to you, he knew he was in for hardship. Whether he knew at that time he was going to his death eventually, I think that probably came when he was in Jerusalem itself. But he knew this was where God was taking him. So what does he do? He calls the elders together and he gives them this magnificent speech that is both very personal and passionate but it also is getting ready for them to take the responsibility to be local churches. And, and you, you need to remember that he says, you know, they went out to all the environs. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Economically, it was almost as powerful as Rome was. One of the things that I think was amazing is they had, you know, Water brought in an aqueduct, which is not unusual. But they had five mills that ran off of those, and they had, first century, the technology to have those mills, one of them at least that we know of, that could cut marble. Think about that. They figured out all of that. That kind of technology was going on there, but yet it was a city that had responded in different ways to the gospel. There was riots. 
I mean, imagine being a preacher that could make a city riot. And the reason it would riot is because they felt that it challenged the economic substructure of that community through the gospel. But yet, I think the heart of what he's saying to us is that the gospel, I mean, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, desires that you who are his body be part of local churches overseen by elders. We see in this passage that Paul the Apostle, who has been sent by Christ, is talking to elders who have a responsibility. And he showed them by an example in verse 19, which says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Do you see how the leadership is first defined? It's, it's defined with humility. It's not arrogance. It's not look at me. No, it's, it's humility. That's what Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit does when they raise up leaders. Those that are willing to become personally involved and passionately love people so that they can cry when they cry. Or, you know, we, we think about having tears of sadness, but you can also have tears of joy. Think about when someone comes to the Lord for the first time and the, the joy that family and friends feel for that. I remember as a, a young boy, I, there were three boys that were born pretty close to each other. And then um, seven years later, or seven years after my birthday, my parents had my sister. And we had been praying for a sister. You know, little kids pray for, you know, I wanted a sister. I saw people I asked one. And so we were just so happy. But you know when her older brothers were happier? When on her own, because my parents never pressured us, on her own, my sister started praying in family devotions. She chose to participate. She chose to identify with Jesus Christ. And we all just... We're so thankful that we'd come to this point in, in our family where my young sister would choose on her own to start praying. Because in our family, you were never pressured to pray. You had to sit, but you didn't listen, but you didn't have to pray. But when she did that, and we had those tears and happiness. My sister is still is after... I don't know, 25, 30 years of being a Wycliffe missionary with her husband and, and doing work in Africa and translating and things like that. But it also tells us something in verse 19 and with trials. It's not going to be easy. Just like marriage is not easy, just like family life is not easy, just like regular life is not easy, there are trials. So when you think about just these description of how Paul describes himself as he's getting them ready, you have got humility, tears, and trials. And then notice in verse 20, when he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He used different kinds of venues public and house to house 
He wanted it to be profitable. See, to be profitable, that means you need to know your audience. You need to know people. And that's part of the house-to-house. That's part of the getting to know folks so that you can help it be profitable in their lives. Now, one of the things I did when I was getting ready to come over here was say, okay, what should I de- preach? What should I declare? He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And so out of all my 40-plus years of ordained ministry, without knowing you, I chose a set of sermons that I, last week was not part of the 11 sermons, so we But next week, I am going to start, because I feel like it is a foundational series, seven sermons from the Gospel of John on Jesus' saying, I am. When Jesus is introducing himself to his generation and introducing himself to us. It both strengthens believers and gives people who are thinking about Christ something to really understand about who he is. And I think the setting is of of the I am's. In other words, you don't just look at the text, but you look at the text to say, okay, where is the text taking place? so that it can be profitable. You see how he says different things at different places. And I hope to, you know, as I learn Scottish culture in, in your ways, but I do hope to be someone who is able to go house to house and we can have conversations and we can do things that are profitable for your walk with the Lord. Now, one of the things that Paul says in verse 28, remember how I said 28 is kind of at the heart of it? Because the Holy Spirit created relationships can be both attacked and defended. Let me read the first part of verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves. In other words, the elders have to take care of themselves in all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Do you think about the relationships that you have in church as Holy Spirit arranged? That it's not just by chance? That the Holy Spirit brings us together from all kinds of places and all kinds of family experiences, but the Holy Spirit brings people together. And he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. One of the ways that Paul, in leaving the church, he knows that there are people who will care for the people. That the Holy Spirit has taken care of them. But that first thing, pay pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, I don't know what it is, but right now it seems to be that right now there are a lot of scandals, disappointments in the church publicly that you see online where people have fallen and done inappropriate things, where sin has been uncovered. And that's why if you're a leader, you need to take care of yourselves as well. You need to pay careful attention, it says. Now, usually when you think about people leaving, you want to paint a rosy picture, don't you? You want to say, hey, it's going to be great. You guys are going to do well. But what's he say? Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, 
and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wow. When he said, take care, be careful, take care of yourselves, he says, you know, it's almost, and you're going to learn I make some interesting pop culture references. If you know about Game of Thrones and the idea of winter is coming, what the people in Ephesus would say, the wolves are coming. And even among people that are in the church, he says, they're going to twist things to draw disciples after themselves. You see, that's one of the things you know why it's, it's wrong, is if people start to draw into little personality groups, to draw people to themselves rather than to Christ. But in verse 31 and 32, he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among the sanctified. That's his answer. To keep admonishing each other, to keep communicating with each other. Whether we call that discipleship, small groups, personal friendships, but to make sure that no one is left uncared for. That is one of the things that comes through this passage from Paul's word, is he wants people to be cared for. They're not just spectators. They're not customers. They're people who need to be cared for, young and old. And again in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, I did not shrink, declaring again, it's anything public, and house to house, testifying. But it's interesting what he tests testifying in verse 21. Of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be willing at times to call each other to repentance. To call each other to have a stronger faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't think of it as kind of a one-and-done kind of situation. It is an ongoing relationship as we care for each other. That there may be times when we need to call each other to repentance and to renew that faith. We need to have that kind of love and humility. See, we never, ever call somebody to repentance out of an attitude of being better than they are. You do it out of humility that for some reason God has placed you in their life at this time. You know how you have had to repent of your sins. But yet this is part of the way that we care for each other. Now, this next part of verse... <coughs> where it says that they're to care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood, in verse 28. Now, in my translation, it says obtained, but what it really means is to purchase, to buy. It's the language of the marketplace. Now, Ephesus was a great economic powerhouse. And so to use a marketplace 
verb to describe the cross would have been very powerful. But the other thing to remember that most of us living in the 21st century probably don't think about is that half the population we believe of the church were slaves. People who had been bought and sold. So for the free people, the idea that they needed to be bought would have been offensive. Wait a minute. Why do I need to be bought? You see, if we don't understand that without the blood of Christ, without his purchasing us, paying the price, we cannot become the children of God. Remember when we think about sin enslaving us, that the wages of sin is death? In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, But now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His grace, in talking about the blood, talking about the cross, talking about his grace, in our language, in our thinking, reminds us that we are here only because he died for us. That's the value in God's eyes that he was willing to send his own son, that the father was willing to send his own son into a world that would hang him on a cross as a sacrifice. But what does that do for us? It gives us the security of our salvation is paid for with the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I know that I don't have to be good enough. So that I know I can never earn my salvation. It has been paid for by Christ on the cross. Peter in 1 Peter 3 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The security of our salvation, your security of your relationship with God the Father, is because of what Christ did on the cross. That is something that when we start to feel down or you know, alone or alienated, even though we may be surrounded by a loving family, there are times when, when you just feel like the world is closed off from you. And if we come back to the cross and the fact that it's through his blood that he bought the church, he bought us to bring us to God. See, that substitutionary sacrifice is something that is hard for people today to accept. That I'm not good enough somehow. I'm only good enough because Christ died for my sins. Verse 32, he says, And now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sacrificed. The ministry of the word, both in public and private, is there to build us up. Now, it's interesting the last things that Paul says to them. If you look down in verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
What I say in this passage, in this section here, in verse 35, it is the only time, and think about this, Jesus is leaving these elders, leaving them behind. It is the only time in all of his writing where he quotes Jesus. He plays what I call the Jesus card. He wants them to remember this, not because Paul said it, but because Paul is quoting Jesus. Think about that. Think about how important it must have been. You know that when we are encouraging people and getting them ready and doing things, that what you say at the end is supposed to be make sure that they remember it, and he wants them to remember because remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, being a church is not just about us. It's about taking care of the weak, those who don't have of working hard so that we can have something to give. I, I just, this, this is, a, you know, I, you'll hear me use the word haunt. There are several verses that haunt me. And this one, when he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. When Paul lays that on the church of Ephesus. Now, we have no idea who was in that, how, what percentage were rich and what percentage were slaves and poor. But certainly, historically, the, you know, we know that upper-class business people became Christians from other churches. So you could have some people in Ephesus, because of the economic prosperity of the city, who would really be able to make an impact on what he refers to as the weak. But he also says, by working hard. So, Paul, in leaving them behind, knowing that there will be conflict, that the wolves are coming, but the word of grace is there, but that does not prevent you from caring for those who are in need. And so I go back to my original sentence, my original focus, that Christ through the Holy Spirit desires that you who are his body be part of local churches overseen by elders. That's his desire, is to be part of the church. Because Christ paid for it. And that's, out of all that I've said, that little last part of verse 28, what I would like to haunt you through the Holy Spirit in remembering the word of God this week is that he bought us with his own blood. Let me pray. Father, we come and we say thank you for this word that shows us how much you loved us through the death of Christ. Shows us how much you love us by bringing us together by the Holy Spirit. By shows us how much you want us to care for those around us by the words of Jesus. And so now as we sing and as we pray, pronounce the benediction. We pray that you might receive all glory and honor. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.